0: Thanks for listening to the Cannabis Today podcast. On this edition of the podcast, Catherine Sidman is joined by Darwin Miller. Darwin specializes in mechanical and solvent-based extraction methodologies. He has spent the last 12 years focusing on the extraction and manufacturing of nutraceutical products comprising of phytocannabinoids and other bioactive constituents from the cannabis plant. Darwin has designed some of the largest phytocannabinoid processing facilities in the United States, processing capacities in excess of 10 metric tons per day, And production capabilities of nearly 10 metric tons of isolated CBD per month, and is currently working on several large scale processing operations around the world. Without further ado, Katherine Sidman and Darwin Millard live from the show floor of Concentration 2019 in Palo, California.
1: Okay, this is the Cannabis Today podcast. I'm Katherine Sidman from Cascade Sciences, and I'm here on the expo floor of the concentration 2019 conference with darwin millard from millard masonic solutions uh darwin i met you last year at uh astm d37 and um can i tell you the first thing that you said that 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 brought you to my attention
2: absolutely because
1: you were one of the many extremely smart people there um the i believe the keynote speaker was giving his address and he said something about hemp and cannabis and during his address you raised your hand and said um hemp is cannabis and we really need a better way of talking about it and please tell us what you suggested
2: Uh, sure. So was this the very first DS, uh, D37 meeting or just last year? Just last year. So last year, I think I had formulated the concept a little bit better. So that would have been our, our, our fit for purpose. Uh, Uh uh, so it's a, it's a foundational concept for helping to build and make it simpler for the D37 and potentially other, uh, individuals to think about cannabis. Uh, and it's just, it's a really kind of, I guess a novel concept, but the idea is that, um, you no longer care about cannabinoid content, terpene content, or any of those, uh, I guess, uh, nuanced factors, right, that vary from regulatory body to another or aren't considered at all. And instead, we just think about what's the purpose for which we're going to grow the plant, for instance, right? So, And helping create, uh, I guess, four classifications, so to speak, for cannabis, and that being a resin cannabis. Which is uh, any type of cannabis grown for the purposes of uh, collecting the flowers or producing the flowers or isolating and extracting the resins. Pretty pretty common sense. Okay. Um, and then a nutritional cannabis grown for producing seeds uh, or any other type of nutritional product. Explicit, you know, exempt from or excluding. Extraction of the resins and uh, separation or production of the flowers. Mm-hmm. And then an actual true industrial cannabis. So uh, using the term to reflect uh, non-edible products, right? Things that aren't intended to ever enter the food stream, not for ha- animal or human consumption. So we're
1: talking fiber. Yeah. F-
2: true fiber products, phytoremediation, right? Mm-hmm. For pulling uh, uh, heavy metals or other contaminants out of the soil, uh, creating biochar uh, or for fuel purposes, you know, okay. true industrial purposes, right? And then of Course, a fourth uh, all encompassing multi purpose uh, classification, meaning that you can grow cannabis for multiple purposes. However, it may, it's going to then make sense to apply the higher level of stringency to whatever you're growing. And an easy example is you're growing for seed and fiber. So you're obviously not going to grow that seed and fiber crop uh, with pesticides and a whole bunch of, I guess, uh, uh, not under good agricultural practices. As you would an industrial crop, which, say, maybe just needs uh, OSHA requirements for personnel safety, right? Mm -hmm. And you maybe don't necessarily need to concern yourself with how you actually grow the crop because it's going to be used in an industrial process. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to harvest those seeds for an animal or a human to eat, then you need to grow it under good agricultural practices.
1: So of the four... So I should I should stop and be polite and let you introduce yourself. Oh, of I was just I am gonna I'm gonna let you introduce yourself and tell us something about your company and then I want to dive back into those four.
2: Sure. Yeah. So uh, I'm a mechanical engineer by training. I uh, specialize in mechanical and solvent based extraction methodologies for isolating terpophenolic secondary metabolites from botanicals. And I've been working in the cannabis space for the past 12 years. Uh, and what that really means, right, is that uh, I specialize in helping clients understand how to make extracts and what to do with that once they've made it. Because it's a, it's one thing to make a whole bunch of crude, but okay, now now how do you refine it? How do you take it up to an API? How do you mm-hmm. then infuse it into a product? What
1: is an API?
2: Uh, like an active pharmaceutical ingredient. So something like, say, CBD isolate nowadays, mm-hmm. right, which could be maybe 99.99% pure, could be considered an API.
1: Could be considered an API. Yeah. So you're working with... Um, maybe not formulators, but with producers? Uh, so say formulators uh, a- and producers? A-
2: Absolutely. So extractors and product manufacturing. Mm-hmm. So at Millard Masonic Solutions, what we do is we, we help clients really take the ideas for products they have in their head, go from conceptualization to commercialization, mm-hmm. and help design and implement every process in between. So helping you really find out what it is that concept you have for a product is okay what what type of peanut butter cup do I want to make mm-hmm. and then we help you create that all the way from scratch through product development uh, brand and marketing assistance and then as well as actually setting up that production train for those clients who actually want to manufacture it themselves help them identify every piece of equipment vet the vendors so that for instance if they are trying to adhere to a, a GMP requirement if they're gonna sell to a European or a Canadian customers helping them identify the correct equipment that will be in compliance with those markets' uh, regulatory frameworks. Because mm-hmm. it's one thing to be U.S. GMP compliant, but there's other levels of GMP sure. that you have to be aware of if you're trying to sell your products, say, uh, into Europe.
1: Well, if, if you're an American, you're probably, well, CBD, right? Absolutely. So so, so now you can't. So it's I, I feel like um, CBD has really been a disruptor. Um, and the hemp bill, the farm bill, has really been a disruptor. And that kind of takes me back to your four... Cultivars. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have the industrial cultivar. Mm-hmm. We have the um, food and fiber. Nutritional, yeah. Nutri- Do we say nutritional?
2: Nutritional.
1: Nutritional.
2: And that's because it's also uh, f- food is, it's and it's only for food, is nutritional, right? So we're talking about nourishing either okay. your, uh, through uh, eating it or applying topically.
1: Okay, so industrial, nutritional, resin. Resin. Resin producing and then...
2: Multipurpose.
1: Multipurpose. Is it... Is it possible for one, one cultivar to fit into more than one category?
2: Absolutely. So uh, you could—that's when it would be a multipurpose. Okay. And so uh, a lot of people are saying, "Well, I'm going to grow my variety for seed and fiber and resins." And it's like, well, in the, and that make makes sense now if you have some chafe and you're a massive producer of seed, uh, and you want to uh, process the leftovers of cannabinoids that are there into, say, CBD or something like that. But that doesn't really make sense when, say, five to ten years from now, when we we know we're kind of uh, out of the shadows of prohibition and reefer madness mm-hmm. is behind us, sort of speak, right? Um, that it won't be commercially viable to say grow a non-resinous variety for resins. Mm -hmm. When say uh, your competition or the farmer next to you is growing their 100 acres of a 10 or 15% variety and your 100 acres is only maybe one or 3% uh, Mm -hmm. because you're also cultivating it for seed or fiber, for instance. Uh, you're going to get a lower economic value for the same acreage than your uh, competitive farmer.
1: Right, right. And, and, and really, we're talking about growing for processing. So we're talking about beginning with the end
2: in mind. Absolutely. All, all the
1: way back to the farmer. You have and it. And so if you're not vertically integrated and you're not, you're, you're not the, the farmer and the processor, mm-hmm. how important is that? sourcing of material and, and can you source material or do you really need to just build a relationship with a farmer and have that conversation
2: early? So that's a great question. I would have said maybe two or three years ago, you wouldn't have been able to source it. You would have had to have built a relationship, maybe even have built the infrastructure. Uh, but now the market has matured enough, at least on the... Uh, low THC resin cultivars that people are calling hemp nowadays mm-hmm. that can be classified mm-hmm. as hemp with a low enough THC concentration but are very much resin cultivars grown for resins your CBD is a resin mm-hmm. you get the most of it from a crop that that produces a lot of great uh, resin glands has right. an amazing nose because of the high quality terpenes these these crops look like marijuana Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. well they are resin crops right uh so yeah i mean it's making sure you understand what you're growing again the the fit for purpose uh and that's where you can then define okay i'm going to grow two different varieties so i'm going to grow say for what makes sense you'll you'll start to see as things evolve uh, and commoditize that it might make sense to do a resin and fiber variety or maybe a seed and fiber variety which we already have but a seed and resin variety might not make sense because you're taking away a lot of the energy that that plant would have normally put into creating resins, into making seeds. Mm-hmm. And that conversion into seeds produces different types of resins and different oils now that come along for the ride during the extraction process, complicating refinement and increasing your cost of goods. So in the, the end game, I guess, you know, commoditization of all of this, the cheaper you can produce your products on the, on the big, big scale, uh, the better you're going to be, the longer you can compete. And that's where uh, farmers will be able to get the highest bang for their buck, the, uh, the most amount of money for their crops by growing specific crops that yield the most. Just like we do nowadays, uh, we're already growing uh, crops that produce the, they the, like, say, the most corn per acre. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And you're
1: well, and there's different varieties of things. So yep. you know, an example that that. Um, I like to use is Oregon strawberries. Mm -hmm. So if you've ever been to Oregon and you've seen the roadside stand and you've bought an Oregon strawberry, um, they are tiny compared to like, you know, when you go to California, you go to brunch in California, there's like a softball sized strawberry, you know, and it tastes like nothing. Like water. It tastes just like sourness. It isn't even food. But you get an Oregon strawberry and all of the jam that you eat is made out of Oregon strawberries. You have to pick them when you're right. By the time you pick them and put them on their counter, they're practically gone. They're too soft. You know what I mean? They're not good for shipping. They're not going to be durable, mm-hmm. but they make the very best jam and other things, but they're not um, stable enough to go be on the brunch table in February in Chicago. Right. Right. And so there's different reason. It's a good, you know, we, we grow things for good reason mm-hmm. and there's different varieties of things. But I think that, we've been stuck in a varieties or strains instead of varieties or cultivars. Tell me the difference between a cultivar and a strain.
2: Uh, Sure. So the easiest way to explain that is uh, strains and the word variety uh, or I guess, a kind of um, the simple way to explain what a cultivar is. So a cultivar just simply means a Variety of some crop, doesn't matter what it is, that has been explicitly cultivated for a purpose. Mm -hmm. So you're going to grow rose number one because it produces a certain size rose at a certain size color
1: and a nice long straight stem whereas rose
2: and, two mm-hmm. might be might have mixtures of white and red together or mm-hmm. the the petals may be a different shape but rose two is always the same mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. that's it's eventually where we will be getting in the cannabis industry and where, where genetics um, is going to play a big role in regards to establishing different commoditized values of crops right because mm-hmm. obviously if you want to grow the best fiber, you want a crop that is the tallest, lankiest thing mm-hmm. that's possible. It grows mm-hmm. one one singular shoot, maybe mm-hmm. fifteen or fourteen feet high, right? That, and you can get those nice long uh, fibers that you can mm-hmm. use for textiles. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas, if you want good seed, you're going to want the the crop that produces the highest amount of seed per acre. You're mm-hmm. not going to want you're not going to bother with genetics that aren't producing the highest quality. Right. And that's where there's, there's definitely an advantage for genetics producers that are out there right now. Uh, spearheading the development of these new cannabis uh, cultivars that will uh, kind of own the future.
1: Mm-hmm. How are you seeing when when your clients come to you? How many of them are looking at um, THC production, and how many are looking at THC remediation? And what? Tell me. Tell me in the last fifteen months, eighteen months, how that's changed.
2: Oh. Um, it's actually kind of it's night and day mm-hmm. um, especially since this December right when the 2018 uh, farm bill legislation went through um, we have been inundated with hemp processors coming out of the blue people jumping into this space who are now uh, looking to set up massive processing facilities and the goal is THC free distillate right or simply CBD isolate it's yeah. uh, it's impressive actually um, yeah. or as you said maybe disheartening a little bit considering that uh, over it's like 98% of the acreage grown in the U.S. is for CBD, and no other marketplace in the globe is producing uh, hemp for that reason. Mm-hmm. Other markets want to produce hemp for mm-hmm. that reason, mm-hmm. but they have cultivars that aren't really viable for that. They have real traditional... Uh, uh, nutritional and industrial varieties that they're now growing to try to get some amount of phytocannabinoids out of. Whereas here in the U S we have amazing low THC resin cultivars that we are able to classify as hemp that are, are great for growing CBD. So we have an opportunity to really, um, define what that type of product is for the world.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I love that. Um, we're on the forefront absolutely for, for a minute right let, let, let the US lead in something for a second that's a that's a good thing
2: and if we can if we can pull our our head out of ourselves you know right. a little bit then we can get out of the our own way
1: right and really well, promote and, progress well and, and and hemp is doing that weird thing so hemp is doing that thing where it's um, I, I laughed at, at MJ biz last year mm-hmm. because there were all sorts of people in there you know uh, walking around with their investors Saying, oh, that's okay. We're not in cannabis, we're in hemp. And I just had to giggle a little bit. So I'm like, wait till you lose your checking account, man, because it's going to happen. Yeah, it's all
2: the same. Yeah,
1: yeah. You don't, you just don't know. But um, the idea that we are going to be getting um, the kind of genetics that are going to potentially go to, I mean, I want to see third world I want to see underserved populations that don't have a good economy or don't have um, good agriculture I want to see that plant in their hands absolutely yeah I want to see people growing I want to see um, something that's easy to grow that's easy to generate revenue Mm -hmm. from that's also useful and beneficial um, for the folks that are there
2: I agree with you hundred percent and that's actually why I've been participating in ASTM international for the past three years is to mm-hmm. is to help that is to create standards that will allow the rural farmer in Africa or India to be able to compete and produce products at the same level as the institutionalized manufacturers the uh, the Canadian seed of the world and mm-hmm. the uh, um, European uh Hemp textiles, essentially, mm-hmm. those are kind mm-hmm. of the territories of where those are. I mean, of course, China produces a lot of material as well, but where standardization can actually help the industry is okay. Well, all this material coming out of China, can you verify that it's hemp? Well, yeah, because it adheres to ASTM standard XYZ, and right. so now you know, okay, it has less than two percent jute strains mixed in with the, uh, you know, for out of every say hundred strain uh, strands, right, of mm-hmm. uh, fiber uh, say two are allowed to be jute because right now there's a lot of, uh, there is a lot of commingling of natural fibers that come out of China. So you're dealing with, okay, is it actually going to be hemp a hundred percent or, mm-hmm. you know, what's, the, what's the grade of my hemp fiber? And there isn't one yet. So that's where standardization will really help promote this industry moving forward. Uh, and again, to protect those rural farmers and allow them, uh, Standard that they can also easily match so that they can, using traditional uh, techniques, produce the same fiber that hemp flax, one of the largest producers in the world for technical fibers from hemp, produces.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, what about the infrastructure around that? And you'll have to help me if this isn't your area of expertise, but. Sure. You know, factories that make hempcrete, factories that are mm-hmm. tooled for hemp, industrial hemp utilization, biofuels, those kind of things. Yeah. Where's our infrastructure on that? Are those, In are the there, US? yeah, anything?
2: It doesn't, I mean, well, I mean, it's not, lack of a better way to explain it, it's not as exciting as CBD is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it takes a lot of investment for a little bit of payout. Um, to do a, a fiber processing plant that you can do decortication, that you're going to then make uh, quality textile fibers from that you can be used to producing clothing, that costs you $50 million to set that up. And because of the uh, cur- current commodity value for these materials, if your facility is further than 100 and co- 150 kilometers radius away from your farms, it's more expensive for that farmer to ship you their product. Than it is uh then you'll f- ever make to, pro- or- to, to actually make for that. So no farmer is going to grow it because there isn't a, a commodity there. And what? How's the best way to encourage that commodity of a new industry? Well, you have to go and approach, say Dixie Cups, and say, okay, you can make uh, Dixie biodegradable out of hemp fiber plastics, right? I guarantee I'll be able to hit your minimum order quantity and supply Dixie cups, mm-hmm. right? with those with those products mm-hmm. and if you're good enough convince them to take it at a loss yeah because it's you know, the intention is you're going to build up market uh appeal to the mm-hmm. people who want a sustainable more green type mm-hmm. of economy mm-hmm. dixie cup being a massive plastic manufacturer mm-hmm. if you get them to switch over even one of their product lines and can fuel that that's going to convince them that okay i can think about switching over a second product line mm-hmm. to hemp plastics who's
1: having those conversations who's doing that
2: I don't think anyone who's uh, in the U.S. hemp industry is is looking at it like that. Mm -hmm. And the real sustainability, what's next after this? Because everyone's after the short-term game, unfortunately, which is CBD. And even that is not a short-term game. I mean, I'm working with clients right now setting up processing facilities in the neighborhood of 15 to $30 million. They're going to be manufacturing more CBD than the quantifiable market currently can can take mm-hmm. so what are we going to do with all that cbd other than bottom out the price of the entire marketplace right
1: right well and and then the question becomes what do we do with all the isolate what
2: right i mean is, especially is when it's the best still medicine. not legal to put in a food
1: no not legal to put in the food and and is that the best medicine is that the best delivery i mean cbd is so sure. good so i
2: mean Arguing efficacy and things like that is really not the place of standards development. Mm-hmm. That's more. That's up to the manufacturer to define claims, to go through the appropriate mechanism to uh, allow them to actually make those claims on their products uh, and whatever product development they want to go through to establish the features or benefits, right, that their products have in comparison to their competitors. Mm-hmm. What we want to try to do through standards development, and what I've been trying to do really, is is create a level playing field. Hey, this is the bar, and if you're below it, then your product is simply not safe to consume, mm-hmm. and everyone will know that because this is the minimum quality standard mm-hmm. that you should be at. Mm-hmm. And if you're way above it, then that's marketing. Mm-hmm. Advertise that. Mm-hmm. Say you you meet and, and then exceed, exceed yeah. these standards.
1: Yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely, and I think that there's a lot of opportunity for people to differentiate themselves because I've never, I mean, you know, there's kind of a meme I have in my head Mm -hmm. of somebody at a dispensary, um, you know, saying, "Oh, I'm going to need to see the COA on that," and then they leave with their bag and they go through the McDonald's drive-through. Right. You know what I mean? So, on the one hand, you have a you have a a customer base who's extremely interested. In the nitty gritty um, of the product, mm-hmm. more so than anything else. I mean, what else do we? What else? What else do I consume that I have as much information about um, as cannabis?
2: So that's an amazingly great question, and one I try to talk about with a lot of other groups is the fact that. The reason why you don't mm-hmm. care or it's not gonna, a concern in the back of your mind when you go to a McDonald's or you go through the 7-Eleven mm-hmm. or any convenience store mm-hmm. right? And, and or grocery store and pick up the food mm-hmm. off of the counter because there have been decades old food product safety institutions that have guaranteed the quality of that product. That it's not going to kill you. There's right. safety right. that you know and that's inherent with it. Right. So you don't even think about it. Yeah. And in no other space... Uh, than the cannabis industry does the consumer have to be the 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 driving agency that actually checks to make sure that the product's safe and that's uh that is a major flaw that we're trying to fix currently right now is Mm -hmm. by uh, those same standards that are in place that makes it so that you don't have to worry about the what's in the the that Mm -hmm. if you get it from the convenience store or the grocery store that you you're going to have a problem Mm
0: -hmm.
2: should be applied to cannabis so that we can have the same assurances for product safety
1: and I'm also going to say I take a lot for granted. I take for granted that when I buy honey, I'm buying 100% honey. Right. Not the case. And that, that's I take actually, for granted that that I can trust what I'm getting at the grocery store, and I'm finding out more and more that maybe I can't.
2: is a big issue, actually, just recently of a huge honey scandal yes. that was going on in Korea where they were diluting honey with uh, uh, corn syrup.
1: Corn syrup and even water. Mm-hmm. Even water,
2: and so you were getting a hundred percent. And in this case, it's actually not, it's really funny because it was Canadian product, a hundred percent Canadian honey. And in fact, there it was less than half honey in some right. cases. Right. So I
1: think I think that it's both, and I think we need to meet in the middle. I think that we have we have given up our agency and said the government is going to protect us from bad things and Mm -hmm. so I don't need to do my due diligence and then cannabis comes in and there's no protection and so but somewhere in the middle is the truth I need firm standards I need regulation and I need oversight and I need to be an educated consumer who's responsible
2: for my own self You know what I mean? Unfortunately, until the industry matures a little bit, yeah. You kind of have to look out for yourself. you got to be your own watchdog. Be your own watchdog.
1: So I can think of a couple different people that are going to want to be in touch with you. I can think of clients who are interested in either scaling up or retooling what they have going on. People that are starting in business. And then also people who are in the industry who want to help and you give so much of your time and so much of your um skills and abilities and input and unapologetic um Unapologetic nerdiness. Can I just say that?
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Okay.
1: Because you just throw Hopefully it all that's in the not line. A flaw. No, no. I, 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 would tell you how attractive I find that, but my husband is right over wow. my shoulder, so we'll save that for later. Listening in, but uh, listening <laughs> in, right, with headphones. So, um, but no, but you, you just bring it. And the reason that I, I started out this conversation with, you know, somebody says hemp and cannabis, and you raise your hand and say, no, 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 no. Let's talk about it like this. Is that that is still where we are is we don't even have the words yeah my what i call hemp what you call hemp, what he calls cannabis what she calls marijuana all these different things we don't even have the words around it and i feel like it's high school debate back at the beginning define your terms first absolutely Did you do high school debate
2: i didn't but i i'm aware oh,
1: okay yeah but you know it
2: used to you could have
1: you could have <laughs> and you probably would have been great at it um darwin millard how do people get in touch with you
2: uh, that's a great question. The easiest way to get a hold of me, um, we're kind of in a transition on names right now, but it would be my email address okay. or my phone number. A uh, direct phone number you guys can get a hold of me on is 720 839 0559. Or you guys can feel free to shoot me an email at Darwin, just like the scientist, D A R W I N, at solutions And that's P H Y t-o-l-o-g-i-x dot solutions
1: all right thank you so much darwin millard it's been a pleasure
2: thank you
0: for more visit www.canna-today.com as always please rate review subscribe and share thanks again for listening to the cannabis today podcast